So I do have children, and they are my mini me's. It's, it's really amazing. <laughs> I have, I have, you know, they're all boys, but I have one son who is really into um, making yummy smelling things. So we will. We'll make a lot of sprays together. He'll make calming sprays for his class. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so sweet. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, it's really cool. And, you know, like one of my kids knows mushrooms really well. The other one is all about flowers and making different concoctions with the lemon balm and peppermint in the garden. It's so cute. So it's really beautiful for me to see that reflected in my kids that it's you know, just folding in the plants into our lives is seamless now. You are listening to Herb Mentor Radio by Learning Herbs. I'm John Gallagher. And I'm Tara Ruth. Today, we're chatting with herbalist Abby Huff. I first met Abby a few years ago when I was studying at the California School of Herbal Studies. She was one of my teachers, and I learned so much from her transformative classes, and I just am so excited to dive into our conversation with Abby. But before I do so, I want to share a little bit about who Abby is. So Abby Huff is an ever-evolving community and clinical herbalist, educator, medicine maker, intuitive life strategist, healing justice organizer, and overall plant nerd. Her passion lies in connecting people to their inner wisdom and responsibility to the planet and each other through gratitude for and relationship with the plant kingdom. You can find Abby on Instagram at underscore the stinging nettle underscore. Hello, Abby, and welcome. Welcome. Hi, thank you. You know, Abby, I always love to start with a question of what inspired you to become an herbalist? Did you have an aha moment that led you down this path? Did you always sort of have an inkling that this is what you wanted to do? I think, you know, my love of plants really started as a child. My mom um, was uh, from the Philippines and brought a lot over to the States in terms of her gardening skills. And we just had a really huge thriving garden. She would grow sugar cane and taro root and ginger. We had so many fruit trees and vegetables and so many things. And, you know, I think I took advantage of it a little bit as a child, because as an adult, we got, you know, there's that term food forests Mm -hmm. where people are turning Mm -hmm. urban spaces and their Mm -hmm. urban gardens into food forests, literally. And I just, you know, I was like, wow, my mom was already doing it. And part of it was survival and poverty for sure. But it was such a huge gift for me to be able to be by my mom and tend our garden and the fruit trees and climb the apricot tree in the summertime and just stay up there eating apricots. (laughs) And so my father, who is from Georgia, and he also grew up on a farm and, you know, he's a descendant. We're descendants of enslaved folks. Mm -hmm. My father's black. But, you know, my grandparents, my great grandparents, all farmers and my father, I don't think he realized it, but had a green thumb as well, Mm -hmm. because he is the person that sprays down every leaf of his plants (laughs) and wipes them down. And so I think it's just in my blood and bones, the plant work, you know, and being connected to the plant world. And I just, it almost feels like I just ended up here, Mm. you know, like there was no other place for me to be except immersed deeply into the world of plants. Well, it sounds like that you had this childhood where you got to run free in nature. And were a lot of those experiences connected, do you think? Yeah. I mean, you know, my 
our yard was good sized. We had a large yard and I was always outside. Mm. And so it was very normal and natural for me to just, you know, I knew where food came from. Mm. And also my mom was out there making from her sugar cane that she would grow. <laughs> she was making sugar cane vinegars and doing a lot of things like that, that I, like I had said earlier, just really took advantage of as a child, but were really, really profound and left big marks on my soul, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. Sugar cane vinegar. I can't even, mm-hmm. can't imagine that. I mean, we have to, that's, what's mm-hmm. that taste like? vinegar it's just it's it ends up being white like a a a cloudy white vinegar Mm. delicious yeah (laughs) and all of that running around in this amazing food forest that your mom created it sounded like sugarcane and apricot were some of these plant allies that you connected with were there any others that really stand out to you in your plant journey of like wow these were some of my like first deep relationships that I built with a plant Yeah. I, when I talk to people, there are so like flowers are one of the biggest things that bring us back to our childhood. Mm -hmm. And for me, my mom also grew a lot of roses. And when I was a kid, roses actually were very perfumed. They were just really strong medicine in terms of smell. Mm -hmm. So roses for sure. And she had a rose that was this beautiful lavender and it was my favorite rose in the whole garden, you know, but it, just smelled so beautiful. And then also I might get it wrong, but are they called Jupiter's Jupiter's rings or sure. um Oh, I don't know. Saturn's ring. It's this really beautiful magenta flower that um grows on umbels, but that's another flower whenever I see it. It just brings me back to being a kid. Mm. So and then the last well the last two, one is collard greens, because we always had collard greens. My mom took on a lot of my father's southern roots, you know, mm-hmm. um as a kid. So we always had just big, beautiful collard greens in the garden and a huge pomegranate tree. Oh. And to this day, nothing compares to that pom- those pomegranates uh, from that tree. Yeah. Wow. To this day, I've never had one that's, you know, taken me back to that time mm-hmm. of my life. It just sounds like there is so much love poured into all of those plants and that space and that relationship with the land. I can see why there wouldn't be another that would compare yet. You, you oh know, I, I wonder, Abby, like when we're talking sugarcane, pomegranate, apricot, and you mentioned ginger. Like, since you have been an herbalist, a medicinal, you know, herbal practitioner, have you looked into more of medicinal qualities of these plants or just as food or the food as medicine? Have you explored more of those plants of your youth? Absolutely. And I think one thing, um, is that I feel like everything is connected. Mm. So, you know, food is medicine. Like we think about our culinary herbs and things like that, but I, you know, but there are so many of our culinary herbs are medicinal. And at a certain point in time, I know that, especially in my Southern root, you know, when I go back, um, you know, a lot of the spices like rosemary and the sages and different things like that were also put into 
um, the cooking pot to not just for flavor, but for its medicinal properties for, Mm -hmm. you know, killing off whatever might be in the meat, just Mm -hmm. for making sure that everything was good, Mm -hmm. you know? So it wasn't just, oh, we're putting the sage in the pot because it tastes good, but it's also part of the medicine and making sure everybody's healthy and refrigeration standards were different, clearly. (laughs) So a lot of it was preservation as well. Yeah. So it's hard for me to separate out food and medicine and all of that stuff. Mm. But I definitely have explored a lot of the foods in our in my garden as a child. And I'm very big into ancestral foods and all those foods that make us feel like home. Mm. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, you talking about ancestral foods makes me think about how you've mentioned one of your areas of focus is ancestral healing. And can you talk a little bit about what ancestral healing is and how this is connected to herbalism? Absolutely. So just who I am as an herbalist, I feel like so many of our gifts as human beings aren't just gifts that we hold because we're us, but they're also gifts that kind of pop up through our ancestral lives. Mm. So I truly believe, and I also know that for myself, you know, if I were to follow my lineages back, there are definitely healers in my lines. There are herbalists in my lines. There are farmers in my lines. There Mm -hmm. are all of that. Mm -hmm. And so that gift and that affinity to me pops up like through the generational thread. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. with so many of my students, I think because I with some of my students, we would do ancestral projects where we would have folks kind of do a research project on their ancestry and see what they could find. Mm-hmm. And one of my past students is basically a hibiscus farmer <laughs> oh. and grew so much and just grows hibiscus. That's one of the, the main crops that they love to grow. And following their lineage backwards, they found photos of their great, great, great grandfather or great, great grandfather growing and tending a field of hibiscus in Argentina. Wow. And I just thought that was really so special. So I think that, you know, when we kind of merge the world of plants and, you know, honoring all of those who've come before us and also finding all the beautiful legacies and gifts that are shared amongst people that we may know or Mm -hmm. may not have been able to meet is such a powerful and profound way of affirming who we are. You know, Abby, what comes up for me, sometimes we talk about ancestral healing. For me personally, and I don't know if with your students, if you've come across this too, but when I was studying herbs and I was trying to look back, I mean, I do have this Italian grandfather who I, there was a, you know, they would talk about, oh, we'd gather dandelion greens in the park in Philadelphia, my great grandfather, maybe back in the <laughs> early 20th century. But mostly I, I just sense a lot of grief because I don't know. It's, you know, all these Irish potato farmers, people, I mean, they were using herbs and plants, obviously they were eating and whatnot, but I I feel like there's just so much that has been like the lineage is destroyed Mm because I, my grandmother just after World War II, so adopted suburbia and my mom sprayed chemical lawn care, you know, to keep the the lawn green. And um, I just feel like it's been a lot of rebuilding. And I was just wondering when you tap into that with students, ancestral healing and all like, what's that bring up for people? It sounds like it can be beautiful, but also painful. Absolutely. I think you bring up a really beautiful point around the grief I feel and 
I feel for myself and what I've seen with so many people is that there's a grief of living out of diaspora, mm-hmm. meaning we're just like our our society is kind of like a hodgepodge. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have like these very clear, um, not all of us. Some are some of us are still blessed to be able to carry on and hold ancestral knowledge and traditions mm-hmm. and things like that. But the majority of us don't have that. Yeah. And so there is a feeling of disconnect and even with myself and my journey of ancestral healing, mm. but something, oh, it's, it's so multi-layered. It's really complex, but really simple at the same time. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. But, you know, some of the practices that we would use working with some, with our students would be to, you know, if you could identify, you know, this plant. So you have, you know, dandelion greens that you knew your great grandfather harvested. Mm -hmm. So working with dandelion greens now Mm -hmm. and part of ancestral medicine is maybe, you know, working with um, certain medicines that you knew, you know, are in your lineage and just trying to wake that up. And also as an offering to our ancestors who are part of our blood and bones. So making that little offering to ourselves, Mm -hmm. to them. And so that's one thing, but I think grief is a real, a real thing. And also, some of us can't trace our lineages yeah. backwards. Yes. Some of us, just depending on what our family constellation looks like, mm-hmm. and our ancestors can be many and anything that have moved us and given us a place and home mm-hmm. and things like that. So I work a lot with the queer trans community. Oh, great. And unfortunately, in that community, a lot of families are broken, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and youth have to go off on their own and start their own little family constellations. And, you know, what's honored and with through like what I've seen with, with a lot of my students was honored. They call them transcestors. So people who um, truly deeply moved them and inspired them to, you know, really embody who they are and things like that. So we can celebrate in any way possible. You know, Mm. I don't think there's limits on ancestral healing. It's sort of a way forward is us coming together, isn't it? I love the idea of family constellations. And I love that you're working with the trans community. And because I I know that can be like with families, understanding can be challenging. My brother's gay. And I remember when my parents... um, you know, they, they had to dig deep and change the way they were thinking and really move forward. And they did, they, they embraced it and they really worked and it really brought the family closer together, I think. But I love family constellations. That's so wonderful. Yeah. And I mean, just thinking about that, I, you know, there's like this section of just, I think, you know, ecology, the plant world itself is called queer ecology Mm -hmm. that just talks about like the many iterations of funguses Mm -hmm. and the way different plants and animals reproduce and express themselves. And it's not a binary thing. In nature, there's a lot of, (laughs) there's just a lot happening in nature. There's so much happening in nature and it's much more expansive than we can think of. And I think also just working with a queer trans community, you know, folks have seen themselves reflected in nature, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the many different expressions of all of these beautiful creatures, you know. Um, and so I've seen that as well. So people using the phrase plant sisters mm-hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Wow. So it's like really embracing diversity and all of nature and all of humanity together that we can do. 
Absolutely. Hey, Tara. Hi, Jide. <laughs> so <laughs> when you went to herbal school, California mm-hmm. School of Herbal Studies, right? That's the um, one. They had a curriculum. On, I imagine they had a curriculum laid out for you. Like you, you signed up and they said, this is what we're going to do through these two years, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, that was the deal. And being in a school that was a couple of years, you probably learned early on. Now, you know, you went to college where it's a lot of like, I'm doing a class that's going to bring me from point A to point B. You know, how long into it did you realize that l- studying herbs isn't point A to B? Oh, <sighs> I feel like about one month in, <laughs> pretty pretty soon, because I started, I'm such a nerd, me and my best mm-hmm. friend who are in herb school together started to track our nerd stress when we realized that we wanted to be at point B already, and we had to keep checking in with ourselves. <laughs> Have you gotten to point B yet? I think the more I learn, the more I realize that it's not about getting to point B. Ah. It's actually about building relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of instead of a straight line or even a curved line, it's sort of like a big scribble on a page. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Then you, then you realize that, right, there is no point B. I'm just going to be in the scribble. Yeah. You just want to be like part of the mycelial network, basically. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exactly when I was designing Herb Mentor back in 15 years ago or something, I had gone through an herbal apprenticeship about as mm-hmm. long as yours. And I realized that same thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people will join and think, hey, this is going to be from point A to point B. You're going to have a, a certificate at the end, or you're going to, you know, like, Ah, I gotta understand how this machine works. Yeah. Nature, nature. Um, <laughs> nature being the machine. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. right, right. So what happened was I realized that it was really about an adventure, like mm. that, that herbalism is a journey, and it's more so an adventure because you never know where your particular passion is going to take you. Mm-hmm. Um, Though you, you say you really, you may get more into gardening than one person, but maybe you learn more about uh, another person learns more about remedy making is really into that or wildcrafting. There's so many places to go that we find, right, that we just, you know, there's a certain proficiency you need in some skills, I think, that you get. But then mm-hmm. after that, it's kind of, I mean, are all of your friends you graduated with all kind of doing slightly different things with herbs? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I feel like. No matter where you go in life, even if you're not a quote unquote professional herbalist, like mm. you're always an herbalist because you're s- still building those relationships with the plants and carrying those seeds forth into all the different work you do. Yeah. So with Herb Mentor, you know, there is a place where if you, you say to, might say to yourself, you know, where is my herbal adventure going to lead me today? And you might mm-hmm. go down a trail of getting help and support. You might want to Learn by sharing your story or helping others with a question, or maybe you have a plan to identify, or maybe you say, today I need to go look something up. So in Herb Mentor, we have a great search feature. We have lots of herbal profiles or monographs, lots of references and resources when you need something quick. Or you might want to think, hey, I'm going to, it's time to learn a core skill. So Maybe it's botany for herbalists or Mm. aisle crafting or making a garden. You can do that. Or you may say that I just want to explore, discover. So maybe maybe you want to listen to a a podcast course on 
natural stress care, or culinary herbalism, or herb energetics, or staying healthy through the seasons, you know, that might be what you want to do while you're, you know, cleaning the house or working out in the garden with your AirPods on. Um, mm-hmm. And then you might want to check into what different mentors say, like what's Rosemary Gladstar have to say and watch a plant walk video with her or mm-hmm. listen to an interview like this one or you know, dozens of others we've had with amazing herbalists or or full classes on herb TV. See, there's a lot of information and it seems overwhelming, but it's not because you take it one day, one experience at a time. And instead of being about point A to point B, we help guide you through that process. So it kind of like fuses in your life. And that when I, after I took my first two-month herbal class, I realized that's what I needed. That's what I wanted as some way of having community, having inspiration, ongoing learning in my life. And I sort of yeah. made a digital version of how my brain was working with. <laughs> and, and it kind of, be, you know, it's, it's, yeah. It, it's, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it's, you, you can, you can check it out for a dollar. Mm-hmm. You know, check you out your brain for, for a dollar. Check out my brain for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> and the brain of many amazing herbalists. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, all you got to do is you can go to herbmentorradio.com. And, um, you know, while you're there, you could you could see what cool special offer we have for Herb Mentor. But you can also uh, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite app and make sure you, you always catch us, right? Yeah, Because <laughs> you never absolutely. know what we're going to talk about. Um, so, yeah. That's what I wanted to share about Herb Mentor. Yeah. And I just got to say, I started using Herb Mentor right at the end of my first year of school. And I still felt like such a beginning herbalist. And now even, you know, has it been almost two years later? I still draw on Herb Mentor as a beginner, as someone who has more experience under my belt too. So I've just found it incredibly useful at all different like levels in my herbal journey. And I'm very grateful to have my own subscription. Hmm. Why, thank you. Mm-hmm. And I hope that you, listener, will join us in our community. And we look forward to seeing you there. Now we should probably get back to that podcast. Oh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> this makes me think about, Abby, how in a lot of our work together, you've described yourself as a politicized herbalist. And I see you as someone who weaves all these connections into herbalism and building relationships. And there's all these threads that come into working with the plants. And I'm just curious, can you talk about what this means to you and why being a politicized herbalist is important? Absolutely. So I definitely, um, like in your introduction, um, I'm a healing justice organizer, meaning, well, part of part of my work is really, you know, when we think about society you know, there's a lot of margins and people are shoved into these margins off on the side, off on the side, you know, and we have, you know, particular kinds of people that are very centered in the middle. Mm -hmm. And it's my belief that part of my life's work is to bring people from the margins and into the center. And that's deeply inclusive of everyone. So as a politicized herbalist, I have a focus on disability justice and looking at ableism and how that impacts who we are as practitioners, as healers, even in educational spaces, mm-hmm. you know, how we bring, you know, folks with disabilities into the center, visible disabilities and invisible disabilities. When we're looking at gender, I just believe that we all, there's space for all of us. We can all be who we want to be. And I want, you know, folks to be brought to the center and 
also with my work, I work with like a lot of immigrant communities and my work really does center with communities of color and making things accessible and also understanding, you know, the impacts of so many things on all of these different communities, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? So as a politicized herbalist, I just feel like it's important again to bring everyone into center and make a lot of, you know, healing and wellness um, from, you know, physical well-being to, you know, generational traumas, mm-hmm. you know, I want people to have access to healing and working with those things. Mm-hmm. How can we do that? How can herbalists or herbal companies, schools do more of, of this and bring more of this viewpoint into the work they're doing to create a bigger feeling of inclusiveness, safety, and welcomeness into the work they're doing. I I have to say that before Black Lives Matter, a couple of years ago, a lot of the work that folks started doing, I, I always consider myself, you know, very inclusive, aware person. But after really listening to a lot of things, I found so many blind spots. <laughs> and, I went, yeah. and I went, oh. And so, yeah. I guess all of us listening, whether you're home herbalist or you're doing herbal walks in the in your local park, or maybe you have a little apothecary or dream of it, or it seems like there's there's something that a lot of people might be missing. I'm feeling to create an environment of the inclusiveness. I guess you know what I'm saying. I'm just trying to like get my thoughts out. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> no, because. You know, I've taught at a school for the past few years that centers people of color, mm-hmm. you know, and then when I teach at schools who don't necessarily hold that, you know, that are primarily white, I also see like my white students really craving for a more politicized education. Mm-hmm. And I see folks just, you know, really hungry for information all across the board. But what I do feel is that, you know, for a lot of schools, like herbal schools, you know, I think money can be a big thing that keeps people from being able to study. So um, somehow creating scholarship funds or sliding scales or spaces for people of color is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know very many schools who actually focus, you know, have had a strong focus on creating like scholarship funds for people of color or queer trans folks or just, you know, folks that are traditionally in the margins. And um, I say this because, you know, um, it's really important to have culturally competent care, you know, especially in terms of like communities of color or like, you know, you know, our queer communities. Um, Folks really want to be understood um, on these deeper levels. And so having a, a beautiful and diverse spectrum of practitioners is powerful, but that starts from, you know, different institutions doing whatever they can to, you know, expand their student base. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like that's really important. I think on some level, when you start learning about herbs, it's, isn't it, it's kind of hard not to start to feel like when you learn more and you and you're out there and then start seeing what everyone else are doing, have done or what they're doing or not doing, you start to feel that like, this is, this can get kind of like a politicized thing, right? Because the different beliefs people have and different. Yeah. So, um, yeah, because it becomes deep, you, you get deeply connected to nature and the earth and you want, you know, the world to be connected to nature and the earth so we can all get along and we can all get healthy and we can all take care of this planet. 
Yeah. And then, you know, at the same time, there's still neighborhoods that, you know, are food deserts where there's just isn't the accessibility to fresh foods. And yes, like people are still lacking accessibility Mm. to healthy foods. And, you know, even the privilege of thinking outside of, you know, CVS, it is a privilege to think about, Mm -hmm. you know, herbal medicines and things like that, even though it's like part of so many of our lineages. And so in my, you know, as a politicized herbalist, I, I talk a lot about colonization and, you know, the impacts of the colonial world and how that really severed a lot of indigenous peoples from, you know, traditions, languages, all kinds of things clearly and the intergenerational impacts of that on people Mm -hmm. is real. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's always folded in. And that's what I mean by when we talk about intergenerational trauma or the impacts of racism or, you know, even immigration, what it feels like to be an immigrant in our country and how part of you needs to close down, be small and you know, feels like it needs to hide to be safe. And the impacts of just those things on a person's overall well-being is huge. Mm -hmm. It makes me think about how you've talked about another area of your focus is this connection between stress and immunity and like the deep stress of systemic oppression and how that is connected to immunity and health and wellness. And I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit about that connection between stress and immunity for our listeners? Absolutely. You know, there is so much evidence out there through different studies that focused on Black communities or Indigenous communities on the the impacts of oppression Mm -hmm. on people. And so it is a very, very real thing. And so when I am working with my students, you know, a big part of this is talking about their realities of what people move through and the differences between how people are living. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's Mm -hmm. so, it's just very, very, very real. And, you know, I look at my own family again, like, you know, my father um, is Black and my mother's from the Philippines. But, you know, on one hand, we have um, descendants who, you know, I'm I'm the descendant of people who survived the Middle Passage, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And then, you know, looking at my father and the impacts of living in, an insanely racist South on him as an elder who's like in his eighties now, Mm -hmm. you know, I still see it. I still see the impacts. I still see, you know, the safety mechanisms that were, you know, that he imparted onto like me and my siblings around Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. and my mother as well. It's such a big thing. And, you know, I don't know why this is coming up now, but I wanted to circle back to something John asked about like what we can do. But I was thinking about, you know, even in my own journey as an herbalist, it took my own studies to know how plants got here. Like I didn't understand, I didn't learn in herb school that, you know, hibiscus, you know, has roots in Africa. Tamarind has roots in Africa. Certain rices, roots in Africa. Like, you know, I wasn't, you know, it, it was more kind of taught to me from like, a Western herbal framework. And, you know, it really started getting me to think about, you know, the travel of people, even displacement of people and how they brought seeds with them. So I know that folks who made the middle passage actually braided seeds into their hair and brought them over. And that's how things like okra got here and hibiscus. And tamarind seeds. And even though, you know, it wasn't just North America, but, you know, those seeds were brought to places in South America as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even cotton root 
like I have studied midwifery and I didn't know the roots of cotton root until I, until I did my own research. And so I feel like there's a real big disconnect and lack of offering acknowledgement where it's due mm-hmm. through my own herbal education. And it's not intentional, but it is intentional. Mm-hmm. And that's like part of like the erasure of indigenous peoples and people of color all across the world that, you know, especially communities and cultures who yes, we're displaced through whatever mechanism, but also whose um, cultures didn't write. Mm -hmm. They were storytellers or their stories and knowledge was put into dances or songs. So just a disconnect between those things. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, Abby, with what you're saying, um, you know, it's like, say, say our, so on the internet, like we're on you know, being online and, and it's like having learning herbs and people who find us online, they find us. And yes, there's things for free people can do. And, but like alluding to earlier, saying earlier, it's like not everyone has access to that or knows what to look for or even to look mm-hmm. for that. And that's always like this big thing that always seems to me like too big to think about, kind of like, we know we have to do something about climate change, but I think people like get stuck because it seems so huge to tackle and think about. Like, it's like, that's a yeah. huge thing. I I don't know what my question is, but I, I just feel that like, have, are you working on ways, are there people working on ways to connect people that may be in those food deserts to to their ancestry and the fact that this is from their lineage and these are things that could bring them health because not you know like not everyone's gonna whether it's learning herbs or one of the many amazing herbalists online sharing things including yourself it's like i guess i just it's often like well how can we you know how's how is this done you know have you thought i mean you know have you thought about that or i have and you know there's a lot of different um I don't know, there's something called just transition, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, really refers to, I guess, just to simplify it, bringing things down small and regionally. Mm -hmm. And if I, I know for myself, if I think too far out, and if I think (laughs) about every Mm -hmm. problem on the planet, Mm -hmm. it's too much for me. So I bring it down to like, what can I do here where I am? And there's so much happening where I live in Northern California. There's amazing farms like Urban Tilth, which is run by people of color and all that food goes out to people who need it most in the Richmond area. There are community gardens and just so many things that are blossoming, which is absolutely beautiful. And then my contribution is, you know, um, like I said, to focus on working with, you know, communities of color. I've worked with youth of color. Um, around plant medicine and just, you know, planting the seed that this is part of our ancestral legacy. Mm -hmm. Just because you're from the city and you're a kid of color and you're experiencing all these things doesn't mean that you're not a child of the earth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, the narratives that you may have been told about yourself are all false because you also come from a long line of healers and farmers and people who are connected and could hear and created, you know, mathematics and all these beautiful things, you know? So, um, I know that I just, from my own heart, I trust that we are collectively contributing to 
um, shifting the dynamics, you know. I know I'm not the only herbalist that, you know, works with youth of color around plants. There's a few of us, you know. And so that's why I feel like that accessibility piece is really important um, so that we can keep expanding that pot and we can continue to make our little offerings where we are, you know, to our communities. And that's what we've got. We we um, we can shift things community by community, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. region by region it's mm-hmm. yeah yeah makes me just think about planting seeds and just yeah one little seed and how big that can grow over mm-hmm. time if we keep tending to it yeah seed bomb mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yes it reminds me of when i used to think about like going to all the perfect lawns and in the you know the gorilla herbalism in the middle of the night and spread dandelion seeds everywhere <laughs> I never actually did that, but I thought about it. Sure, John. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. <laughs> On the record, <laughs> you didn't do it. Got it. I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that reminds me of the work of these folks called Solidarity Apothecary, who operate out of the UK. Mm-hmm. Of, um, but their focus has been on imprisoned folks, and they have a whole herbal manual about herbs that may, you may find in the prison yard. Mm-hmm. Oh. You know that are specifically for people who are incarcerated, and dandelion is one of those that's on that. You know, in that book. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm. and I think it's just like I don't know when I think of all the little bits and pieces of information and points of focus that people commit to, you know, we're, we're making way. It's so cool. It's so beautiful to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was thinking you were talking about bringing it down to where I am and, you know, and Tara was talking about stress and immunity. And I was wondering if you had wanted to mention, uh, you know, one or two of your few of your favorite nervous system herbs or immune system herbs that you share with people. Yes. So, um, well, for myself, um, motherwort has been such a powerful ally. Mm. And so the way I see stress and anxiety is, you know, it expresses itself in kind of different areas with people. Some people get stress belly or some people feel it in their chest or some people get those circular thoughts, you know. And so for all of the different ways that I've seen stress express itself, I have my favorites, but motherwort is just from myself personally, it's been my anecdote mm. for so many things. Mm-hmm. And I have a big old motherwort in my garden right now. And I, you know, it's just when I feel that little heaviness on my chest or a little bit of anxiety, I'll just go out there and I'll eat a leaf off of the plant. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been very helpful. But in terms of stress and immunity, I think that. I think two of my tops are reishi and astragalus. Oh, wow. They're just really powerful. Reishi in itself called the mushroom of immortality mm-hmm. for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. And I was blessed to work with some, you know, some California natives who were mm-hmm. talking about reishi and their tradition as heart medicine. Mm-hmm. And um, how that bitterness is actually part of that medicine, you know, 
of how, um, so not just physiologically for the heart, but things will work in different layers. So if we're looking at Reishi as heart medicine for the heart itself, which is very powerful for the heart, it's working on energetic levels as well. Mm-hmm. And their perspective, you know, their understanding of Reishi was that the bitterness helps us be able to palate bitter things mm. on an emotional level. And I thought that was really beautiful. Mm. Wow. And then astragalus is just one of my all-time favorites for just kind of sustaining the strength of the immune system. Right. And I kind of run parallels between our bodies and what's happening with the planet, you know. So when I look at the soils, the soils never get a chance to rest. They're always being worked and they're a little depleted. Even if we're working, you know, with, you know, organic plants, you know, or eating organic foods, um, you know, just the soils are a little depleted. So we're kind of running that way a lot. And for myself and working with other people, I've seen astragalus really kind of bring that strength from the core, Mm -hmm. you know, from the center of the bones, just on outwards, just really strengthen people and help balance out their immune responses. And actually, um, yeah, it's been powerful, especially over these last couple of years. Mm. You know, Abby, as you're talking about these herbs, I'm thinking about the stories you were telling of your childhood and bringing these plants into your foods. And then also you wrote a great article for us on making elderflower popsicles yes, for your kids. So it's on our blog, The Learning <laughs> so Herbs good. Blog. You must see it. <laughs> yes, it's delicious. And you just have this way of making these medicines taste so good and, you know, more accessible and are inviting. And I think a lot of herbalists can get so caught up in just focusing on tinctures that they forget about all these other ways we can work with herbs. And I'm just curious, how do you welcome herbs into your daily life and into your family? Oh my gosh. So I do have children and they are my mini me's. It's (laughs) it's really amazing. I have... I have, you know, they're all boys, but I have one son who is really into um, making yummy smelling things. So we will, we'll make a lot of sprays together. He'll make calming sprays for his class. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so sweet. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, it's really cool. And, you know, like one of my kids knows mushrooms really well. The other mm-hmm. one is all about flowers and making different concoctions with the lemon balm and peppermint in the garden. It's so cute. So it's really beautiful for me to see that reflected in my kids that it's, you know, just folding in the plants into our lives Mm -hmm. is seamless now. It's just part of our lives, you know? And I think one part of that is just, like I had said earlier, thinking about culinary herbs, they're culinary, but they're medicinal, like oregano and rosemary, like just, you know, have so many beautiful offerings for us and our well-being. And Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm just trying to say is in my home, there's not a separation between medicine and kind of daily life. Like our whole every day is kind of infused with foods as medicine and those plants folded in and going out into the garden and being able to, you know, just my kids know now they can go and get lemon balm from the garden and make some tea when they want to sleep better. You know, it's like they're... Seven, nine, and eleven. Well, I, I, I like to talk in ten years after they've gone through their teenage years, and let's see how. Oh my this gosh! Goes. 
<laughs> I hope it sticks. I really it hope it sticks. Too. I really do. Oh my gosh. I love the idea of, you know, one of them bringing like flower essences for like yeah. their high school class, oh. just like before a big test or something. <laughs> like, That's oh great. Oh my gosh. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed on that. Yes. I just, I really hope that, you know, but I, I look at myself and without thinking about it, I brought so much, you know, from my childhood into my adulthood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm hoping the same for them. Yeah, I think I like to think that my children come back around again when they, when their parents themselves and look, oh yeah, I remember this. Mm, <laughs> Your yeah. mom and dad, you were smart. No, it's just fantasy, <laughs> but like, you know, okay. <laughs> I mean, I made it back there. I made it back to that point. And even thinking about my own mom, I was like, oh my gosh, I've become my mom. You know, there's certain things. Uh All happens without us even noticing. I know, I know. know. All the the circle continues. Mm -hmm. You know, know. and, um, you know, Abby, I just so appreciate you sharing your, your wisdom and your stories and how you, you know, went to the roots of the herbal stories in your family and, you know, all the compost and grew beautiful fruit and flowers and, you know, healing herbs to spread to all of us. And it just means so much to me that you spent your time and went deep with us. And I'd like to explore more with you in future episodes. But I'm wondering right now, if people want to learn from you, follow you online, how they can do that. Okay, so again, um, my Instagram is underscore the stinging nettle underscore. Mm-hmm. And right now, that's going to be the primary way that folks can follow my work. Mm-hmm. At this time, I'm actually in the process of building out a politicized and embodied herbal course Ooh. that I'm hoping will be available and up and running by the fall. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we want to know about and, that so we can help spread the word to our networks and places. Thank you. Yeah. I know there's so much about me that I didn't get to share today, but for now, you know, I'll I'll be offering some one-off courses and classes and hopefully also building out an in-person apprenticeship, but clearly you'd have to be in Northern California. So yeah, I do have some things brewing. And if you just follow me on Instagram, I'm not the best at social media, but I do post when it's necessary. (laughs) I'm trying to get better at it. Mm. Um, But you can definitely follow uh, what I'm up to there. Mm. Amazing. Well, Abby, thank you so much for joining us on Herb Mentor Radio. It was really a pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, absolutely. It was an honor. Thank you. Herb Mentor Radio is written and produced by John Gallagher and Tara Ruth. Visit HerbMentorRadio.com to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and for information on how to be part of our Herb Mentor online learning community. Herb Mentor Radio is a production of LearningHerbs.com LLC, all rights reserved. Thank you so much for listening. Mm